Mac Power Users, Episode 144, Workflows with Chris Breen. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. And we are joined today by, with Chris Breen, who is the senior editor at Macworld, host of the Macworld podcast, musician extraordinaire, and all-around fun guy. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. How's that for an intro? I like it. I like the fun guy being compared to a, a mushroom. I think that's great. But you are a fun guy, Chris. Well, and, and uh, he's I got the great hair. I mean, the best hair of anybody ever who attends Macworld Expo, period. Well, I don't, Adam Eggst has some pretty fine hair. You know, he doesn't talk about it a lot, but his hair is pretty I, I think good. I think your hair is far better than Adam Eggst's hair. I will just wow. go on record and say that right now. And, uh, and your your hair has its own Twitter account. Yeah, but it's not me. It's oh. it's somebody else <laughs> doing that. And that's actually why I got on Twitter, because somebody said, oh, you're really funny on Twitter. I said, I'm not on Twitter. I said, well, your hair is. So that's why my Twitter handle is Body of Breen instead of hair of green yeah it took me a while to figure that out <laughs> yeah because people say oh the hair of breed is so funny so yeah well thanks very much i don't know who it is nice. you know i've always felt chris that that the apple community is full of artists and this is a thing i've said on this show before but a lot of people attracted to these platforms are people who create stuff and you are you know in my mind one of the great examples of this you are a professional musician and I mean, you released an album back in the day and you're I've, I've watched you play. You're incredible. And you're also a geek. Well, shucks. Thanks. Um, yeah. I, you know, really what it is, is I um, I think a, like a lot of musicians and people who are interested in the Mac, it has a lot to do with being tinkerers as kids. Now, yeah. just General, so of the two of you, are you? Did you both tinker with things when you were growing up? Absolutely. Oh, when I was a little girl, I was like taking apart the alarm clock at mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that artists have some of that uh, instinct in them as well. Is that a lot of art sometimes is is examining things around you and taking it apart and then creating something out of that. Um, it could be very literal, or it could be, um, you know, like art where you're doing a representation of it. And that's what attracted me to the Mac as well, is that I couldn't understand regular PCs because, you know, you'd have to use command lines. And that made no sense to me because I'm not a good rule follower. Yeah. But the Mac is so intuitive, like an instrument, that it, uh, it kind of worked the same way where I could sort of take it apart and say, oh, I, I see how this is designed. I see the artfulness in this. And then I can, I can work with this as if it were an instrument. Although I did for a while have an Atari ST with the built-in MIDI ports, which was really great for keyboard stuff. Well, I do think that that's, I mean, that's what originally got me into the Mac is that I was a working musician at the time. Somebody showed me, I think it was the 512KE, which I ended up purchasing from the guy. And he showed me Performer running on it. Yeah. And uh, I said, wow, you mean I can record my keyboard and edit what I've done. He said, absolutely. Plus you can do multi-tracking at which point I said, sold. Yeah. I want that machine now. Yeah, you're in. I, when I was little, um, I'm 45 now. So I guess I'm not an old guy, but in the geek community, I'm, I kind of am. But the, when I was little, what I would do is I played the piano and I had two Sears and Roebuck 
tape recorders and I would play and record myself and then I'd play back the recording and I'd play along with it. And then I, you know, I would ping pong back and forth. And by the time you got to the third or fourth rung, you couldn't hear anything. I mean, that was just a complete mush. And if I had something like GarageBand back in those days, I'm not sure where my life would have led. Yeah, I, I too, I am definitely an old guy in this business now. So, but I am a huge fan of tape recorders. I use them a lot. <clears throat> when I was growing up, my dad had one reel to reel tape deck that had two channels and you could record them separately. So nice. I would overdub and I would do the same thing. I would find another tape recorder and bounce those two tracks to one track and I'd bring it back again. And, you know, you do the ping ponging thing a few times. And as you say, the quality just degrades remarkably, but still it was multi-track recording. And, you know, when you're 12 and doing this kind of thing, it's a miracle. So, um, yeah, I still am very, very fond of, of tape, but, uh, but you're right. Once you have this technology where, like, it's free and you do multi-track recording, plus have built-in instruments that sound good and not cheesy, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Chris, I, I know that if we start talking about this music stuff right off the bat, I will never get David off the topic. So, guys, I'm going to push that a little bit farther back in the show. But I want to talk a little bit about your tech setup. Um, and, and that will kind of lead us gradually into the music topic. But but tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of the tech that you're running right now, your your current Mac and, and what portable devices you're running. Sure. I am using a um, Mac Pro from, I think it's vintage 2008. Um, Ooh, are it's you going to upgrade? Of, um, the new, new one? The coming soon I new one? I don't know. I mean, I, I admire the power in the thing. But I really like having a lot of storage. And so having flash storage is a problem because I just, I need so much of this stuff. I've currently inside that Mac Pro is, I think, probably eight terabytes of storage there. And then I've probably got another 12 terabytes dangling off the thing in various um, hard drives. Wow. What are you doing with all that space, Chris? I'm a pack rat. I can't get rid of anything. Um, so part of, of it is, it, yeah, it's a lot of space. Well, I have a lot of music. Yeah. I have a lot of video um, I, because I think I have every raw file of the podcast that I've ever done. And so we've been doing these things for a long time because I can't get rid of anything. Um, hey, you know, I think we've kind of got to the point where we're dumping some of the old ones. Aren't we, Katie? Or are you keeping them all? Uh, I don't have the GarageBand files anymore. I have all the all the edited files, but I've started yeah. dumping the GarageBand files. Yeah, well, that's because you're sane, and um, <laughs> and I'm not. I I just have this thing about keeping it's everything. And it's, I mean, well, someday when you are everybody remembers the Chris Breen, they're going to want to get those original files and and you no, know, they won't put them in a museum yeah. somewhere. No, no, I've this just belongs in a museum. No, I've instructed my wife that when I die, she just erase everything and it's all going to be gone. Um, so no, I, and also I'm disorganized. So that's why I just keep buying new hard drives rather than tossing and calling it because it's just so much stuff. So I just yeah. like throw another hard drive on there. Um, so that's the uh, Mac Pro. I've got two monitors going, an Apple 24-inch and a Dell 27-inch. Um, as for portable devices, I have a MacBook Air, the not this one from last week, but the previous version, a 13-inch with a 256 
So did you um, did you struggle at all between 13 and 11, or was that just an easy decision for you? It was an easy decision for me. I like a bigger screen. Uh, I saw people using the 11 inches, and as I get older, my eyesight gets worse. So I really wanted a little more space to work with if I could. And then I have a couple of uh, MacBook Pros here. One of them, I have a 17-inch that I use for testing things. So that's sort of the one I keep clean and, and don't touch otherwise. The and then I have a 15-inch. Yeah, the battleship, because, you know, I don't want to take it anywhere, so I just use it as, as a test machine. Yeah. And then the 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro, I put a, um, I took out the uh, DVD drive and put in Flash for that. So that's that's a great fast machine now. With, like, one of those data doublers, or? Well, it's um, it's essentially Flash on, on one storage, and then it has its uh, internal storage as well. So I've got a terabyte internal hard drive, and then, um, I think, 256 Flash in there. So I boot from the flash drive and then I shift stuff around if I need to. And then I have probably every iOS device ever made. (laughs) So with with all this extra storage that you're using, are you just dangling um, kind of external hard drives that you randomly pick up or pick up whatever's on sale? Do you have a particular one that you use or are you putting them all in in some kind of, um, you know, network attached storage or some kind of, you know, big monster case and trying to consolidate them all together? Or what do you have Uh, any method to that? I have yeah, I have a couple of NASs. So one of them I use for backup, and that's my main time machine backup. And then I have another one that's strictly for media. So that's I use the NAS because I have a Sonos system for music, and um, <clears throat> I've got AirPlay stuff around the house. Excuse me just one second. How, how do you like the Sonos? Because everybody keeps telling me how they love it, but I can't. It's just so expensive. I can't bring myself to do it. I love the Sonos. I really... I got it early in um, when they were really expensive. They're coming down now. But uh, it's absolutely changed the way I listen to music. I have probably six Sonos units around the house. And the ability to stream from a lot of different subscription services, and also I'm a big believer in subscription. Um, My daughter can listen to her stuff in her room. I can listen to my stuff in my office, or we have another one in the bedroom. My wife can listen to her stuff in the office. We have a set up in the living room and we have a couple that we can kind of drag around. So for outside entertaining, we can bring a Sonos out there too. We've talked about it Sonos really a little bit. Can you, can you back up and just give us kind of a big picture overview of, of what it does and how it's kind of different from AirPlay and, and other offerings? Sure. Um, Sonos is, uh, they make a variety of different kinds of units. Some of them have a speaker inside, others are amplifiers, and another one is a non-amplified model that you would add to your stereo or attach to some powered speakers. It runs on its own individual wireless network, so it's not competing with your wireless network, but it has its own mesh network. One of the brilliant things about it is that the signal doesn't degrade. It actually increases using the more units you have, because each one not only receives, but it also transmits. So it's very smart about the way it sends its information around. Um, You have the ability to stream from a large number of services. So you can use Spotify and Mog and RDO and Rhapsody. You can also pull music from your iTunes library or from any directory that you've set up somewhere. Uh, One of the things it will do is it will take a library from... Uh, an NAS, it uses SMB as the protocol. And so you don't have to have iTunes open. If you store your stuff on a on an SMB server, Sonos can access it. So you don't have to have your computer running. It can just access that library and, and be off with itself. Um, it's, uh, what else does it do? 
Oh, okay. it also allows you to play different music in different to different units, unlike AirPlay. So with AirPlay, you're stuck streaming the same stuff around your house unless you're transmitting from different sources. So like an iPhone to one source, an iPod to another one, and, and so on and so forth. And they've got a home theater component and... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the one thing I don't have. I don't have their um, their subwoofer either. I tested the subwoofer, and it was just really big and really expensive. And I thought, okay, that's that's where I draw the line. But, yeah, it's uh, it really is remarkable. And I think they're most like Apple in terms of their design, that stuff is really easy to use. It's good quality. Um, and they, off, they often update things. So you never sort of feel like, well, I can't use this unit anymore because now I've, they've updated the software and it's, it's no longer compatible. Yeah, I think this is something I have to stay away from as I'm looking it, at it. Yeah, it's addicting. Once you get one just to try it out, then you're stuck. You're in the trap and you go, well, I guess I could get one more. And then before you know it, you've got five of them. You know, uh, I forgot, Chris, that you are really the music subscription service guy over at Macworld. I mean, you're the one who always comments and, and really writes up these different services. You know, I'm thinking Pandora, Songs, Spotify. There's a bunch of them. And yeah, there are a lot of them, though. I'd like to talk to you about that a little bit. You know, in light of Apple's recent announcement that they're going to have iRadio, I believe is the name of the service, which seems very similar to Pandora's model. Mm -hmm. And then there's services like Spotify, which I tried for a month and I really dug it. It's, you know, the way it is, is you pay, I believe it was $10 a month or 15. Mm -hmm. Now I forget, but it, it was around that. Do you know how much it is a month? Yeah, it's $10. It They're all $10, $10 yeah. a month. Okay. So it's $10 a month and you've got a, a massive library and you can pick any album you want and listen to it. And not only that, you can download it to your iPhone. So when you're driving around, you're not, you know, screwing up your bandwidth mm -hmm. to have this music. So I tried it for a month and I really liked it. But the, the thing I kept doing is finding myself playing a lot of the same stuff. And I got thinking, well, I'd rather be spending $10 a month to buy this album, you know, mm -hmm. $120 worth of music over the year. But it, it's really kind of um, an interesting concept. So you pay $120 a year and you can have any album you want and pretty much any music you want. But as soon as you stop paying that $10 a month, you don't have anything. Right. Yeah, I... I really 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 love subscription yeah. and a lot of people have, have you know early on at least said no i'm never going to do it because apple told me that i want to own my music and it's and i think for older people we you know that's the model we grew up with right we were hanging out in record stores yeah. or buying cds and we thought well i have to own this stuff but um i got to the point where i was buying music i was buying less of it because i thought well you know the music today isn't any good and it, you know there's i love my old time music and i started sounding like that old guy yeah you know who said oh these kids today make crummy music so, so what subscription allows you to do is explore music and you could try albums i mean we've all had that experience right where you bought a cd because you loved a single on it and the rest of the cd was terrible yeah so to me that's like okay well that's 15 bucks down the drain now I have, for $10 a month, I have access to 15 million tracks. And I can associate artists that I like with new music. And maybe I'll end up buying it later, and maybe not. But um, the ability to listen to anything is incredibly powerful to people who really, really love music. No, I, I get it. And I, I, I'm torn, because part of me says, it's 10 bucks a month. You don't, I don't buy myself a lot of extravagant stuff. 
except the stupid Apple products I can't stop buying. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking, I could afford that. But I don't know. I just go back and forth. There's part of me that feels like, wow, I could buy I could buy 12 albums, you know, for that. It's a tough call. And then the other the other issue I have is my family. So, you know, we we all share an iTunes account like most families do. And with Spotify, as I understand it, if I'm streaming in one place, it doesn't stream anywhere else. Right. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. yeah, you do have that conflict. So isn't there well, a higher tier that you can buy that will give you like two streams or if you use Rhapsody, you can actually have three streams at the same time. So I think that's for that price, it's like 13 bucks or maybe 14 bucks a month. Yeah. So which one would you let's say I'm still interested in this stuff. Which one would you recommend um, working with? You know, if you had to pick one. I really like Rhapsody still. Um, Spotify has been getting a lot of uh, airplay from people because it was very popular in Europe and, and we didn't have it for a long time. And, and we finally got it and everybody said, oh, this is going to be the answer. And, and mostly these, this was people, this was from people who hadn't, hadn't explored subscription before. I find Rhapsody's catalog a little deeper um, and it's broad. So if I'm looking at classical music, they have a wonderful classical selection. Uh, their jazz selection is really good, too. It's easy to search. Um, they have a really nice selection of genres. So even though it too, you know, has its, you know, 15 million tracks, a lot of them have the same stuff in the catalog, but it's getting to the music that's the tough part. And I've found that so far, Rhapsody is the one that allows me to find the stuff uh, yeah. most easily. And do they let you, um, do they let you download to your local iDevice so you can play mm -hmm. it without streaming and all that? Yeah, they've all kind of looked at each other's features and they they copy each other. So the yeah. the catalogs are very similar. The features are very similar. It's really about the navigation. Chris, you're costing me money. See, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think iTunes Radio for kind of the cash and, and granted, all we've seen of it is is what's what's been demoed in the keynote and what's available on Apple's website. And Chris, maybe you've seen more, and maybe you can or can't talk about it, but. Um, to me, this kind of seems like an equalizer for people like David or I, who are maybe a, a little more on the edge of this of, yeah, subscription service sounds interesting, but I'd rather kind of, maybe I'd rather buy my music, but, you know, we're already paying that $25 a month for, um, a year. You know, yeah, $25 a year for the, um, for the iTunes match. Anyway, this is going to kind of give us that ability to, to be exposed to other things. And then, oh, look, I can just click buy and everything just drops in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think iTunes Radio is an interesting idea. I hope it's, I hope that they could take advantage of their full catalog, and that's where it's really going to tell. Pandora really is good. I think Pandora has done such a wonderful job. And just for those who don't know, the difference between a subscription service and something like Pandora is that subscription services are on demand. So you can Correct. say, I want this song right now. And Pandora is like, I love this artist or this genre or this song. Give me more stuff like this. And that's the model that iTunes radio is based on. Yeah. And Pandora's cattle. Go ahead. I've, I've never liked Pandora that much because I felt like it repeats songs quite often. Exactly. But, but I've never paid for it either. So maybe it's well, better. Well, I've paid for it. No, no, it's still, their, their catalog is still limited. And that's the problem I have with Pandora. I think their algorithms are quite good and it learns and that's great. But, um, it's, uh, but it is limited. So if iTunes radio can do this and take advantage of a much broader catalog, that would be great. I think that would be an absolutely wonderful thing. But Pandora's been in the business a long time and they've really taken a lot of time with their algorithm. I'm 
I hope that Apple, when they launch, you don't face a situation like, oh, great, I want to create a Beatles station, except you can't play any Beatles because they don't have the license for it. Yeah. Or you enter a popular artist and iTunes radio goes, I don't know who that is because, again, they don't have the license for it. People are going to have expectations that anything they see in the iTunes store is going to be available for streaming. And I don't know how Apple's going to pull that off, but um, they have to lessen that impression that it's kind of half-baked. Time will tell. And yeah. It may end up, you know, sending me to Rhapsody. Who knows? Well, we'll see. And uh, and I'll send you a condolence card if you end up paying that hundred and whatever a month or a year. <laughs> Well, then I can't afford to pay for my Sonos, Chris. What am I going to do? <laughs> well, just get start with a cheap Sonos. I mean, like like yeah. 300 bucks and you can get started with Sonos. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <sighs> okay. You know, everybody, when, whenever I go to Macworld, I meet people. And usually their spouse is with them and they're like, hey, I love your show. And the spouse is like, hey, I really hate your show. You cost <laughs> yeah. me a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm feeling that way right now. I Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why you should never take your spouse to uh, to Macworld. Yeah, exactly. Or, or why answer. you should, because it keeps things in check. Oh, true. Oh, yeah. Katie. Oh, Katie. <laughs> never know. Well, um, it, is, it is interesting. I think the music streaming stuff has made a lot of changes in the last couple of years, and suddenly it's a real thing. You know, it was like hypothetical thing for so long, and now even Apple and... And now Google is in the game. I guess real quick, have you got any opinion on the Google service or have you played with that yet? I've played with it a little bit. It's it's just another Me Too service in the on-demand business. Uh, I think what's important about that and what's important about Apple coming into this is that it it shows people that this isn't really a weirdo notion. Yeah. That this really is the future of music. I know my daughter listens to Sonos and, and Rhapsody all the time, and she's purchased maybe a dozen songs in her lifetime because she doesn't care about owning anything. She just wants her music and she wants it now. And it's like here. So for her, it's a totally normal thing. It's, it's um, does now with your daughter and I, I've been hanging up on this topic way too long, but last, last question. So with your, do you have this service where you can both stream at the same time? Is that how she gets to do it? Yeah. Yeah. And also yeah. I, because of, I do compare these things. I have multiple services i have about five of them yeah so if she's tied up one of them i can go to a different one and, and listen to what i want okay well katie uh you wanted to talk to him about his tech setup about tech and... stuff and then you somehow just got this right back into the music category didn't yeah, you? yeah sorry <laughs> sorry uh so chris are you using any other fun fun tech i mean you talked about uh, uh the ios devices that you're using are you ipad or ipad mini person or both um you know i am a uh, i'm an ipad person I read a lot on my iPad and um, the iPad mini, I just, you know, because when, once you have that retina display and you move to the iPad mini, that text bothers me. Uh, I think it's a great size for reading and I, I, I regret having to use the bigger one because it is heavy. Uh, but until there's a retina display mini, the, the full size is going to continue to be my go-to machine. I just yesterday I was trying to uh, annotate a PDF on an iPad mini and I really didn't miss my my retina screen. Yeah, for that kind of niggling little work where you want to get into the details, it's it's hard. 
I, I know people that, that had the earlier iPads and they look at the iPad mini and they go, oh, this is awesome. You know, but once you have the retina display and then you try to move back, then you realize, wow, this is ugly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's what you get used to and, and, and what you're spoiled with. Um, okay. So back to Katie about cool stuff I have. In my, I'm kind of looking around my office to see what I have in here, which is everything. Um, yeah. So the two NASs, uh, I got a 5.1. The audio system in here. I've got a big TV in here. Uh, wireless stuff all over the place. I have musical instruments all over the place. I have a big stack of, I don't even know what those things do anymore. And uh, and I have a cabinet full of iPods. I think they're like 38 iPods in there. And, and what, are you keeping these around for a reason or just posterity or just you might need um, them? Or? Yeah, well, I occasionally have to go back and test these things. So... You know, I'm the guy that everybody at Macworld, because they know I'm a hoarder, um, they say, Chris, I know you still have a second generation iPod. Could you look this up for me? And I charge the thing and I say, oh, yeah, here, this is this is what this does. So, um, yeah, a lot part of it's testing. But again, it's just like, oh, it's kind of cool to open up these two little doors and suddenly it's just, you know, this massive number of iPods spill out. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your writing for Macworld and, and how you get stuff like that done. But this might be a good point to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor, our exclusive sponsor for this episode. And that is the Finds folks at Smile, who are makers of PDF Pen. And David, you were talking about annotating a PDF on the iPad. I would imagine that you were doing that with PDF Pen for the iPad. Why, yes, I was. It was real easy because I someone emailed me a document. I opened it up in PDF Pen on my Mac ran the OCR automatically, and then went off to lunch and took my iPad mini with me. And after I had my taco, I uh, I fixed it, you know, with my iPad mini because it's got that iCloud sync and it just showed up on my iPad. It was great. Yeah, I use PDF Pen both on the Mac and on the iPad and on the iPhone because there are versions for each all the time. And the iCloud sync is great if you... Um, prefer. It also has the ability to sync via Dropbox. It also has the ability to sync um, all of these cloud services that you like. So if you store your stuff in Evernote, you can go in and grab stuff in Evernote and save things back to Evernote. Um, but PDF Pen for the Mac is where I probably spend most of my time doing my, my major work. And I'm using that a lot in the day job now because I put this Mac on my desk. And some of the features that I'm using with PDF Pen for the Mac on a regular basis, are this this new feature is is export to Word, and that's brand new in PDF Pen version six. And what it allows you to do is it takes a PDF. It can be either one that you've downloaded from somewhere, or it can be one that you've scanned in your computer. I've done it both ways. And uh, it sends it off, and it's very fast, within a couple of minutes or two, and it will export that into a Word format, Doc or DocX format, whatever you prefer. And now you've got a fully editable PDF or fully editable Word document from that PDF. And I use this all the time because a lot of times people will send me documents that they don't want me to edit, and perhaps I do want to edit them, or people will send me samples or forms, or I'll be able to download forms um, out of this form library that we have, but they give us the forms in PDF. So either I've got to send somebody to retype them, or I've got to do what I think, you know, looks really unprofessional, and it's a fill-in-the-blank PDF, and so now, you know, it's very clear that I used a form, and I'm just filling in the blank, whereas if I did it myself, it looks much more professional, and then I can save it in my own personal form library so that I can use it again. And I'm using the export to Word format all of the time uh, and bringing it back in and creating my own forms 
using PDF. Um, I'm also using the, um, for my profession, the redaction feature quite a bit. What you can do is you can go in and search a particular string or strings of characters and you can redact whether it's names or social security numbers or just pieces of information and it will search and redact. And it's not just going to, you know, put a big black box over something that if you know what you're doing with the PDF, you can touch the box and you can move it. But it, it's actually going to remove both the top image layer of something and then it's going to go remove that metadata underneath so that when you redact something, you know it's it's actually redacted. If you upgrade to the pro version of PDF pen, then you can also do things like create your own forms. So you can send those forms off to clients and have them type in their information and send them back to you. Uh, you can also uh, do uh, bookmarks in forms. And I know you use that all the time, David, or bookmarks in your PDF so that you can jump to specific pages and documents. And you can also suck down entire websites and save them as PDF, which is a feature I used quite recently when we were redesigning our firm website. I was able to suck it down and send it off to people and say, here, make your make your edits and make your corrections. So, and then of course, as David said, they've also got the iPhone and the iPad version, so you can take it and do whatever you want. So uh, check out PDF pen from smile. Everything's available at smilesoftware.com slash PDF pen and uh, let them know Mac power users sent you. You know, just on that really quick, I still cannot get over that feature that turns a PDF into a word document. I mean, it looks amazing. And, um, it's always a tell for me with attorneys when they send me a contract that we're working on and they send it to me as a PDF. That's usually a sign they're like a shady lawyer, right? They don't want, you know, they, they won't share it as a Word document. I don't know what they're up to. And with this new version, I just ruin their day every time. That's great. That's, that's, that's a tagline. PDF Pen 6, ruining the days of shady lawyers all over the country. There you go. For we'll, free. We'll, we'll give that to them. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, tell us tell us a little bit about um, it, you write. I think probably daily, uh, if not many times a day, for uh, stuff for MacWorld, for the magazine, for the website. Uh, what's kind of the setup you use on your Mac to get all that stuff done? Um, I actually I use BB Edit as my as um, my word processing text. Uh, I thought you might. App. That seems to be a thing over there. It is. We we like it a lot. I've been using BB Edit for a long time. I don't code much, um, but our workflow is such that I do all this stuff in HTML, and then we we convert for our CMS, and we have a uh, a macro that does that for us. So I uh, I do all everything in uh, BB Edit. Insert my HTML code, um, convert, upload it to our CMS, do a little tweaking in there, and then. Um, you know, if there's somebody who's going to be editing my articles, it, uh, a little message goes to them saying, it's ready, go ahead and do this. Uh, my Mac 911 stuff doesn't have an editor. I'm the editor for that. So it's really write, uh, upload, push, live, and, and off it goes. Now, because the stuff I've done for Macworld, they've always let me write in Markdown um, as opposed to HTML. Do you ever deal with Markdown at all, or you just write straight into the the pure HTML as you're, as you're writing? I write into pure HTML. Um, I got into HTML. I like it. I'm comfortable with it. And I've got BB edit set up in such a way that it, it's just brainless for me to do it that way now. Yeah. So it's one of these habits you get into. Markdown came along. Um, Jason Snell is big on Markdown and, and a couple of our other editors really like Markdown a lot, but because of the way we've got our conversion set up that you can, you can use Markdown as you'd like, or you can use HTML, or you can actually go in within the CMS. You can write in it, but it's all web-based. And, you know, if it 
dies suddenly, then all your work is gone. So that's that's the least desirable option. Yeah, you know, I've never been a fan of that. People write me because for the Max Barkey blog, I, I post quite a bit and they're like, how do you do that? Do you write it into the web? And I never write into the, the web service. I've just never trusted one because there's so many pieces between you and that engine that are out of your control. Absolutely. Um, and also, I just find that I feel more pressure when I'm writing when I'm on a web thing, as you say, because it's like, well, it could die any second. So I really, really should hurry up. Whereas yeah, if you're doing a, it locally, li- you can yeah, think. There's literally a bomb ticking down. You <laughs> exactly. Know, in any minute, somebody's going to cut the wrong wire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Katie? Do you write for your blog um, separately or write into the Squarespace no, module? No, no, no. I write everything in ByWord. I write everything yeah. in ByWord and Markdown, um, and then copy it and then paste it into the in, into it when I'm done. Now, now, Chris, for your you know for your daily routine, you've got you know because you deal with a lot of stuff at MacWorld. I mean, I see so many great articles with your with your byline on it, and I know that you also do a lot of management stuff there. I know for a long time you were managing the forums and all these other things. Um, how do you keep track? Uh, and then the po- you do their podcast too. So how do you keep track of all of this and, and manage the the tasks part of it? Well, um, again, I'm disorganized, so I I pretty much know what I'm going to do every day of the week. So Monday, there's going to be a Mac nine one one due on Monday, but it has to go up really early in the day. So that's actually produced usually on the Friday or the weekend before. Uh, then if I've got that out of the way, it depends. If it's a podcast week for me, I alternate between me and the people at the uh, office. If it's going to be a podcast week, I have to figure out what that's going to be, line up the talent for that, decide on a recording date. Maybe it's going to record that day or or it will record on Tuesday because we produce it on Wednesday. Uh, I generally edit all the podcasts. So Tuesday is my podcast editing day, but I have to have another Mac 911 for Wednesday. So I have to do that on Tuesday. What, what, where do you edit the podcast? Is it uh, GarageBand or where do you do it? I used to use GarageBand exclusively, and um, I've now changed to Adobe Audition. And the reason is that we have a lot of people, generally it's staff members who are doing it, but everybody has a different setup. And I I know you guys have encountered this as well, as has every podcaster, where you're dealing with somebody and maybe their mic is not good or they're in an environment that's really noisy or their phone rings. I mean, some people don't turn their phones off. Oh, um, we have people who edit that out. Don't worry. They'll never know that happened. Oh, yay. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mark does that. That's right. He, he's great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do all the editing. So it's um, because you have so many weird environments. So, and I guess I'm talking to Mark here. You know how this is, Mark. Um, that Adobe Audition has much better tools for taking out things like plosives. It gets rid of noise better. Um, you could do all this stuff in GarageBand, but it really is a very laborious process. So now I do it in Audition. Once I finish it, then I take it back to GarageBand because we do enhanced podcasts. And you can't do that in Audition. Yeah. And uh, so so that's the last step of GarageBand, then export and then uh, send it off put it in our CMS and we have a routine there that then puts it on iTunes. Yeah, we didn't, you know, we didn't. Now, um, yeah. We need to talk about the enhanced podcast thing or we're going to get a million emails. Well, <laughs> oh, okay. I was just going to say that it's just an extraordinary amount of work putting together a podcast. I, it's a lot more than you would think. And uh, so you do all that in a day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, do so you, sometimes we record the morning. Go ahead. Do, do you do just the enhanced version of your podcast or do you also throw out an MP3 as well? 
We originally did both. We did an MP3 version and an enhanced version. And we decided that we were just going to do the enhanced version. Um, because people can, we have two ways of accessing the podcast. You can download it directly from the page where we produce the story because it's got the show notes and stuff in it, or you can get it from iTunes. People now are using iOS devices that are current enough that an enhanced podcast isn't a problem. In the old days, we did an MP3 because we thought, well, people hanging onto old gear need that. But now we just do the enhanced. Uh, So should I explain what an enhanced podcast is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Enhanced Podcast gives you the ability to put in uh, embed graphics and bookmarks and chapters. And I've always found Enhanced to be helpful because when I'm listening to a podcast, sometimes if they're in different segments, it's useful if I don't want to listen to the first segment, I can skip right to the second because there's a chapter mark in it. Uh, Some people, if they only do MP3, you have to kind of, you know, scan through until you get to the point where you want. So I think it's a convenience for the listener. And um, and I think people appreciate having them in there. And honestly, once you get into GarageBand, it, maybe it's another 10 to 15 minutes of work to, to make it an enhanced podcast. So I think it's certainly worth the time we take. So you can make it so every time I start talking, you just hit the button and it skips forward. I'm not sure that I would want to go to the point of putting in like, 40 chapter marks, we generally <laughs> put in like, there's like three, you know, so there's like an opening segment, there's the commercial, uh, and then there's uh, maybe the closing segment. Yeah, we, we've had people talk to us about wanting to do the enhanced podcast, but they want like 40 or 50 segments so that they can skip around. Where's the part where you talked about BB Edit? Where's the part where you talked about Sonos? Where's the part, you know, in, in, you know, skip back and forth. And for us to do that, you're, you're, you're more than doubling the edit time because you have to you have to, you know, put those in as you edit, which means editing in GarageBand, or you have to go back and re-listen to the entire show again to drop those markers in. And then the the problem that we found is, you know, based on where people are downloading them and how they're downloading them. And again, this may be less of an issue now with, with all the devices that people have, but it certainly was an issue when we were first doing the show, is we had to have both the MP3 and the enhanced. And, um, now you're now you're talking, especially when we were just starting up, and it was Katie and David versus five by five. Now you're talking, um, you know, double the bandwidth. Basically, you're you know talking two places to store the show, two you know two bandwidth pods where people were downloading and you know having to navigate all that. Yeah, I think it's fine for the you know to make certain compromises for the listener, and that that can mean maybe four or five chapter marks. But you're right in a show, particularly where you're you're bouncing from topic to topic to topic which we tend not to do, um, that's crazy. You just can't take the time to put in 30 chapter marks. So uh, those people who are asking for that, I would say, are crazy. So now at Chris this Chris said point, it, not us. <laughs> no, I said that. Uh, you, sir, not you. I'm not speaking to you, sir. I'm speaking to you, madam. Yeah, Chris, so I think so. We just got through Tuesday, and you've written two articles and produced a podcast. All right. And then Wednesday is uh, is my writing day for doing Mac 101. So this is a column I started about uh, maybe eight months ago. Yeah, I like it, and, by the way. I've been sending it to like family members that are, have got new Macs. It's a, it's a great series. I know, I've been sending that's it to ex- my parents. I yeah. love it. That's exactly the point of it. Good. Um, that's, that was the intention, that we'd been doing some beginner stuff for a while, and um, it didn't really make any sense for our readers because... They say, well, I know this stuff. I'm here. You know, I'm not that beginner user. I'm, I'm the intermediate to advanced user. So why do I need this? 
Um, and I decided one is the writing exercise and, and two that it needed to be framed correctly, which is I know you know this stuff or you know most of it. And maybe you'll pick up a couple of tidbits, but I bet you're the person that's getting called in the middle of the night by a relative or a friend who's saying, I don't know how to do this. Could you help me with this? So on the one hand, we're evangelizing this technology. But once you do that, it's like saving somebody's life, right? You, you're responsible for them forever. Yeah. Once you've helped them get a Mac or an iPad or something like that. So this is a resource that then you can say, <laughs> I love the way you, you phrase that. that, by the way, <laughs> like you save someone's life and then you have this relationship with them that just continues. <laughs> you're responsible for them. Well, I think you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. have, haven't you found that to be the case oh, where yeah. people? Oh, yeah. yeah you, so you recommend something and it doesn't work and they're mad at you. Yeah. So uh, that's Mac 101. So it, that tends to be a feature length article around 2000 words that comes out every Thursday. Um, and what I as a writing exercise, I I went into it as let's suppose I know absolutely nothing about computers or the Mac. And I want to start at ground zero. So the tone in the first eight installments is really basic. And I, and I don't mean to be condescending, but really try to try to help people and go over some very obvious points. And it's getting a little more advanced as we go along. I can refer back to other columns and, and it seems to be working out. So my goal is to cover the Mac from soup to nuts over the course of probably you know, a year to a year and a half. Uh, and then Mavericks will be out and I'll have to start all over again. Have you ever considered, I know you guys do a lot of eBooks. We had Serenity on, um, a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about that. Once you, you've kind of reached a, a restart point about this and maybe that's when Maverick comes out, you know, putting kind of all these together in, into one of your eBooks that I can gift to somebody and say, here, don't call me again oh, until yes. you've read this. Oh yeah. It's already on the schedule <laughs> as we, uh, as I was pitching it, um, and I said, and it would be a delightful ebook. And everybody nodded and said, oh, yes, that makes it even more attractive. Yeah. So, um, and it doesn't really take any much more resources within the company. So it's just something I wanted to do. And they said, sure, go ahead and do it. Um, okay. So that was Wednesday. That's Wednesday, yeah. That's Wednesday. And then Thursday is sort of what have I got sitting on the floor that I'm supposed to be reviewing or learning about? Uh, so that's my exploration day. And Friday is kind of that same sort of day, although I have to s start anticipating what's going to happen the next week. And get the, the 911 article written or started. Do the 911 article, hope that I've got some decent questions. And if I don't, come up with one of my own. I like how you've broken everything kind of into um, and uh, days of the week. And, and so it, it gives you that structure and you, you know what you've got to be doing. I like that. Now, do you use any kind of, um, because I, I'm sure your, your week is not quite so calendared and everything perfectly fits into that little, that little niche that you've created because then Apple goes and does things like they have events and WWDC and they press release and things happen and there's news and Tim Cook goes to all things D conferences, um, and, and other things happen. So, um, do you guys, how do how do you, um, how do you kind of fill in the other stuff? Do you have like task management systems and, and how do you get all that other stuff that just gets thrown at you? It's pretty casual. Um, we, we keep a lot of this stuff in Google Docs. So if we're doing a, a staff written piece, for example, like, you know, working on an FAQ or uh, problems that people may have, we all contribute to that sort of thing. Um, in some cases, it could be that an, uh, an editor something's happened. Let's say um, like the other day that uh, 
Apple TV brought uh, HBO Go to it. And I happen to be a DirecTV subscriber, and I found that I couldn't use it DirecTV. Really? Because I didn't sense it. any frustration from you about that. Really? You no, didn't? Huh? No. <laughs> it seemed perfectly fine. Yeah, if you follow my Twitter stream, you can see that I was really mad, and I wouldn't drop it. It was like the whole day I was going, ah, you people. Um, but that was one of those instances where I said, I have an editorial that I could write. And they said, fine, do it. And so I spent 90 minutes on it, and I sent it in, and, and off it went. Um, so we have those kinds of things where something will come up, and maybe an editor will say, oh, you're the music streaming guy. Do you have time to do this? Sure, I'll drop everything else. I'll, I'll write this for an hour, and then you can have it. Um, otherwise, if there's a longer-range thing, a feature or a, a long how-to, an editor will contact me and say, I, I want this for such and such an issue. Could you have this done in the next six weeks? And I'll just throw something on the calendar that will pop up a reminder the week before, let me know that that's due and I better do something about it and fit that into my schedule. So, yeah, I have kind of my regular stuff that I do. And then on the calendar, various bits that I need to do over the course of the next month. So is your calendar basically your to-do list? And if so, what are you using for calendaring? Is it iCal and it's a great leathered and torn paper glory? Ah, That's what I figured you used was BusyCal. Yeah, I use BusyCal and uh, and it is. It really, it's kind of old fashioned. uh, Again, because I'm not- I love BusyCal. yeah, I do. I love it too, but I'm not a getting things done kind of guy because I would have to be organized in order to become organized, and I'm not. Well, the the thing I hear is that you've got your life organized in a way that doesn't require a fancy getting things done system. I mean, the idea of a task system is it should only be as complicated as you need it to be because after that it becomes, you know, fiddliness. And what you've set up, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's like every day you wake up. And you've got one or two things that you know, that's what I'm going to do today. And I'm, I'm actually really jealous listening to you because I wish I could have that type of schedule because it makes life so much easier. Well, it does. I, you know, I came from a freelance background and I got used to that feeling of not knowing what I was going to do that day or, you know, who am I going to pitch to get a story and what am I going to do? And I feel guilty if I'm not working, so I should be doing something. Um, so it, I am, I'm accustomed to having, having that feeling. Um, but I do prefer knowing at least part of what I'm going to be doing that day. I mean, it may be that I wrap up at two, I'm still on the clock until five. And that gives me the opportunity to then pick something up off the floor and play with it for three hours, uh, in anticipation of reviewing it or using it in, in some other context. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, for instance, I have a similar thing when I'm in trial. I don't have, I don't use GTD when I'm in trial. I, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing every day for the next five days. And it makes it, it, it's almost refreshing in a way sometimes to be doing stuff like that. I, I was talking to Rob Cordry, who's a friend of the show, and he's an actor. And he says the same thing when he's doing a shoot. He doesn't, he doesn't fiddle with anything. He just shows up every day and does his stuff. And I think that for every profession, there is a there's an area like that where you don't need a big task management system. You just have to perform. Yeah, even it, even in the creative world, or you know, certainly in the uh, being a lawyer or a physician or something. There's there's something about there's a satisfaction in the stability of sort of like a factory job. 
you know, where you go up and you just stand there and you know you're going to screw this widget into that thingy and, and do that all day. Um, it's not the kind of job I would want, but at least, you know, you know what's going to happen. So even if you have sort of a scattered life, it helps where you can to put things in little boxes to say, okay, well, this is the box for Monday and this is the box for Tuesday and so on. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a nice system. I like it. Um, I think we should probably take a break real quick and talk about our exclusive sponsor again. That's a uh, smile software. And the other product they make that Katie and I both adore is text expander and text expander is this amazing app that allows you to type in quick little snippets of text and have it ex- expand to much bigger things. You know, the, this sample, a lot of people talk about is things like your, your address. If I type H M A D D, my home address just pops in. And I use that many times, uh, or your cell phone number or any little bit of text, but I keep finding additional ways to use this. This week I did a post at Max Sparky about conference call planning. And I was always running into the problem when I wanted to do a conference call. It was such a big problem in terms of getting the logistics out. And we had it at my office, we had this service that we had to pay every month and we had to go in and they'd give us a different access code every time. And there were a lot of people involved in getting the word out about a conference call. And I said, you know, this doesn't make any sense. So I got an account at freeconferencecall.com and then I built a snippet in text expander. So when I talk to Katie and Chris saying, let's have a conference call, I can just type the words conference call in an email with no space between them. And this massive snippet just fills in and it tells them what time it's got a fill in slot. So I can tell them the time and date of the call. It automatically puts the free conference call.com phone number and access code. And then I even have a thing where I can put in there what we're going to talk about and how long I think the meeting is going to last. And so within a few minutes of us hanging up the phone saying we're going to have a conference call, they get this really great email that makes me look way more organized than I actually am. And that's just another example of the stuff you can do with Text Expander. Um, it's on all Apple platforms. It's on iOS and on the Mac, and it, it syncs back and forth. And with the newest version of Text Expander Touch, 2.0 on iOS, which I just did a video for, by the way, it even does a better job of bringing in those fill in snippets and the rich text from the Mac. So that conference call snippet that I had all those fill in snippets, I can run that off my iPhone if I want. So it's really an amazing product. They actively develop and are always bringing in new features like we just saw with this update. And I couldn't get by without it. It's one of those apps that I just install immediately. Now, we've been talking about it for a while on the show. If you haven't tried it yet, shame on you. Go go download just a demo of it, and it will change your life. I, anything you find yourself typing more than once, might as well get a text expander snippet. And uh, so I use it all the time. It's a great service. Uh, you can get it at smilesoftware.com. It's no longer in the App Store because it's just too awesome for sandboxing. And you can download it for your Mac. Uh, they have a demo, and then you can get it in the iOS store as well for your iPod. Your, I'm sorry, you can get it for your iPod Touch, your iPad, and your iPhone. And that's Text Expander Touch. Thanks a lot, Smile, for supporting Mac Power users. So, Chris, one of the other things that I, I know you do is you do a lot of speaking engagements. And um, I know you've done presentations for mugs. By the way, I'm going to hit you up at some point to do mine. Um, you Please. do things, Yeah, you do things at conferences. Um, and you do video tutorials and videos for both Macworld and, and Lynda.com. So can you talk a little bit about how you get set up for those? Sure. Um, I have a very, um, you know, I, like a lot of people, I do my keynote 
presentation. I get my little bullet points together. I tend when I present to, um, some people have described it as half stand-up comedy and half presentation. And a lot of it comes from my experience of being a musician and dealing with drunks. And I don't mean to say that the people coming to my presentations are inebriated, um, but I'm pretty comfortable standing in front of people and talking. And and you can be after you've faced off, you know, a six foot four, 300 pound drunk with a beer bottle in his hand um, that uh, heckling doesn't bother me because I've had that experience. So when I do my presentations, um, I'll have my little slideshow up there and I occasionally go off topic and I often go off topic, way off topic to make uh because I'm not quite sure where it's always going to lead. Um, there have been times where I've forgotten my presentation, I didn't bring my notes, and I have to riff for 90 minutes. And I'm comfortable doing that, because I, I try to put my presentations in terms of a story. So that's the way I approach it when I step on stage, is I'm going to tell you a story. It may be about technology, but it really is just a story. I'm not relating points to you, but I want this all to connect in such a way that at the end, you could tell that story to somebody else. You know, it's funny. I, I've done some of those med presentations remotely, you know, using iChat or some other Skype or some other service. And I often find them very difficult um, to be what I would consider successful because it's really hard to connect with an audience when they're on the other side of a, of a line. Absolutely. Those, those are tough to do because you you do tend to feed off the audience. When I'm doing a live presentation with somebody, I can follow the audience and see what's going on. If I get the sense that I'm goofing off too much, I can pull that back. If um, something isn't going over or they're looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. This, this point has gone over my head. You have the opportunity to just back off, go over it again. And then and you could also kind of gauge the, um, the sense of where the audience is in terms of their uh, expertise. So if you've prepared something that's really technical and you see, you know, more than half of the audience kind of scratching their head, you realize, okay, I overshot this one and I need to on now. I can't, you know, you can't continue doing what you were doing because it's not working and you're going to end up with an unhappy bunch of people. So you have to be able to think on your feet and say, okay, drop this down, skip these slides because this is going to be nothing to these people and give them something that they can take home with them instead of just saying, well, by God, this is what's on my slide and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, as I sit uh, as I sit here, I think maybe it's an issue of eye contact. You know, when I'm in front of a group of people, I can make eye contact with them, the listeners in the audience, and and you get a much better feeling about how much they're getting or enjoying or connected to what you're saying. Whereas when I do these remote presentations on my screen, I see the room and they're all just sitting there looking at me glazed. Which maybe that's just the way people look at me to begin with, but the, uh, but I can't connect with them individually, and I, I don't know. I feel very empty after I do those. It's to such an extent that I, you know, I almost avoid doing them anymore. Well, you, one is you have to trust that what you're doing is worthwhile, and and they're going to get it. Um, I I occasionally do a few tricks when I'm doing that, which is. Um, you know, I will demand that people wave their arms if a joke goes over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said, can't hear you. So you have to do you have to signal to me that this is working for you. Or I will stop, you know, partway through and say, how is this? You know, and it's perfectly OK to, to step down from the platform and just say, how's it going? Do you 
Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you get it? And they'll tell you. And then you can go over it that way because they understand the limitations of the technology as well. Uh, but you're right. It's tough to work a room when you're not in the room. When I was in college, I worked on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. And it was one of the very first rides they built there. So it was really old technology. And the way that river is, there are sections that are deep and wide and sections that are narrow and shallow, you know, on the Irrawaddy River of Anaheim, California. And so as the boat would, and it's on a rail, as the boat would go through certain areas, you had to accelerate the boat or the wake of the boat would, because the wake would grow when it went from deep to shallow, it would literally lift the boat right off the rail and drop it, you know, into the river where it could no longer go. Wait, seriously? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I, in Florida, they had a, a trough system, I believe, and it never did that. But in Anaheim, this happened all the time. And, and then so, so you and your guests were just stuck in the river? It, exactly. That's and they had all these, these Oh my gosh, college... I got stuck on the river cruise at Disney World. No, when I was when Disneyland. Disneyland, um, sorry. So when, so when I was working there, I worked there for five, six years. Uh, I never had one of those happen once because when they trained me, they said, this is where you always accelerate. And that's where I always accelerate. But you get all these, you know, college kids, they don't care. And so almost daily at any time, I could be stuck on the river with people for like 45 minutes. And then suddenly they want to be entertained. And that experience for me was the best training I've ever had for trial work, for podcasting, you know, all the stuff that I do now where I talk in front of people, I attribute my ability to dance on my feet to that daily routine of just getting hammered with no warning whatsoever. I think that's a great experience. I, I think that that trumps the dealing with drunks in a bar. I don't know. A angry tourists versus drunks with a bar. I think you're you're about in the same level there. Well, yeah, but you're in a boat. I mean, they can get to you and there's really nowhere you can go. <laughs> they could throw me over. <laughs> well, I, I was and, thinking you know, about jumping at that point. Anyway, it, yeah, I agree, though, that, that those experiences really do help help build you. But that's just another example where you're in the same at least you're in the same location. But you yeah. also do you also do video tutorials for Linda. And now do you um, how do you do your screencasting? Um, the screencasting, um, it, you could do it a couple of different ways. You can you can be at Linda uh, where in, you're in your room doing your your screencast there. I've done it a couple of different ways. I think I've done five or six titles for Linda now. Originally, I scripted everything. And so it really was like writing a book. So uh, basically, I'm just reading the script and I'm doing the things as I go along. And I sounded like I was reading um, because I wasn't confident enough that I could speak off the cuff. And I did a couple of them and I talked to my producer about it. And he said, you know, really, you should try doing a couple of them, just talking. We have great editors here and we'll take care of the stuff that where you pause and mumble and, and make an inappropriate joke. So tried it that way. And now I'm kind of halfway between what I tend to do now is I write out the first paragraph that, so that I know I'm going to enter it correctly. And then I'll write the ending. And then in the middle, I'll just kind of talk through what I need to do. But a lot of it's just rehearsing it and knowing where you are and what you're going to talk about. What, what uh, software if I do, do they work in? Um, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about their workflow, oh, okay. so I, you know, I won't. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, they're not doing anything extraordinary, but that's yeah. kind of their call. Yeah. Um, I can tell you what I do when I do my, uh, you can also do aggregate courses where you basically produce and edit and do everything. 
Um, I used to use Snaps Pro for that. I now use ScreenFlow. And I do uh, kind of the major editing in ScreenFlow. And then I'll do the tweaking in Final Cut Pro X. It's, it's you know, everybody's using ScreenFlow that's doing these screencasts anymore. I don't, I don't know anybody that's not. Well, it really is a, a wonderful program. They've, I, I still find it glitchy. I just reviewed it for, um, for Macworld. So if you use ScreenFlow a lot, you know what I'm talking about, that every once in a while, just something weird happens. You know, oh, this is odd. You know, like the, the waveform won't conform to what it really is. It'll show you the wrong waveform instead, and you have to quit the project and reopen it. But yeah, for I've an all-in-one environment, it's great. I've not had that happen, but occasionally the waveform just shows flat, and I need to stop everything. And then it catches up. Have you ever experienced mm-hmm. that? Yeah. 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 Their, their waveform drawing is there's, there's still a routine in there. They need to straighten out. Yeah. Well, you know, Chris, another thing you, you write about quite a bit, that's always a passion of mine is automation. Um, I think you are the guy who writes about automator for Macworld. I mean, I think every article I've seen has your name on it, except for a couple Ben Waldy did. Yeah. Ben Waldy's is, you know, a real, automation yeah. guy and that he knows scripting back yeah. and forward. Yeah. We did and, a show with Ben back when, and uh, I forget what number it was, but he, I mean, he is the guy. Oh I, yeah. I think outside of yeah. Apple, he's probably the smartest Apple scripter out there, but, but you, yours are uh, in a lot of ways more accessible in the sense that you stick generally with automator and, and come up with a nice automator script once in a while to make something easier. Yeah, I do. Um, I was sort of the last man standing on that I've, because I've been doing this so long. I'm kind of the jack of all trades. Or, I mean, there are many of us that do this sort of thing. But at that point, nobody had done automation stuff. We wanted to do it. And they said, hey, Chris, in one, Mac 911, once upon a time, you used Automator, so you're going to be the Automator guy. Okay, fine. And, um, and I had, like most people, I hadn't used it much. And I finally started digging into it. Uh, I had talked to Sal Segoyan at Apple about it, and he sort of gave me some pointers on what it's really good for. Um, I attended some of his sessions. And I, you know, what Automator is great for is all those little repetitive tasks that you don't want to do time and time and time again. So as I've gone through it and explored it, um, I found some really useful uh, workflows. For example, one of the ones I use here all the time, because I'm one of those people that saves things to the desktop. And I know I shouldn't, and it's bad, and it slows down your Mac, but I do, because I'm sloppy. So I've created a, um, an automator workflow that when my desktop is completely obscured by files, it takes everything on the desktop, and it throws it into a folder inside my documents folder. So um, this is a, a variation on the technique where many of us have a folder on our desktop called My Stuff. And we take everything on our desktop, we throw it into the My Stuff folder, and then we never look at it again. So I've automated that, and I've taken it off the desktop, <laughs> and I put it into my Documents folder. I just I made an automator script kind of like that just this week. Um, my I have a dictation machine that runs off a PC in my office, which is increasingly dying. The, the machine is just stopping working. It's like a very slow crawl to death. And one of the things is the dictation software just stopped working. And it's one of these digital recorders and they have a proprietary file format. So they don't have software for the Mac or I haven't really looked into it, but I just need to get that dictation uh, file into a folder on our network for this, for the paralegal to see. So I, I just, for giggles, I plugged the 
the recorder into the Mac and it showed up as, you know, as a storage device. And it's got the folder structure in there from the device of the dictation. And I, and I saw the file that I wanted to put on the network. It's in this deep nested folder on the network. And it took me several clicks to get there. And I got thinking, well, I don't want to do this two or three times a day. So I made an automator script. It's a, it's a one command automator script and it's a service. So it says, you know, when I select a file, I right click and it says move to dictation. And I just press one button and automator grabs the file and moves it onto the network into the dictation folder and off the device. And I got thinking as I was writing that, how often do I do a repeated move? And why don't I have more of these set up as automator scripts? You know, I, I have almost an identical workflow for that, except we have a, a recorder that we, we plug in a memory card or I plug in a memory card into my Mac and I've just, I've created that automator script and then I've set up Hazel that as soon as it sees that memory card installed, it launches that automator script. Yeah, that's even better. So that's probably the next step. Yeah. And you can also use smart folders that same way. So that you attach a folder action to them. So when that appears or you do something or you move something to it, it initiates uh, an action. So I often use that for backing things up. I'll, I'll throw the day's work into this folder and then it automatically throws it over to the uh, network attached storage. It's fun. I think the automation stuff, cause I'm not a programmer, you know, I fiddle with Xcode once in a while, but I'm not. And uh, having the automation tools and some of the Apple scripting stuff it makes you feel like a quasi-programmer. And I still just get giggles when I can make my computer dance and do tricks. And that's just something that's part of me. It's always been part of me. When I was a kid and I first was able to put a pixel on the screen, I, th I thought the world had changed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the other tool that's worth having is a keyboard maestro. Oh, yeah. And they have a new version out, by the way. That's they really do. They good. just came out with a new version, which is fantastic. So actually, for that, your workflow in terms of inserting a USB device, they now, that acts as a trigger. Yeah. So as soon as you plug that thing in, bang, off it goes. So you can attach a script to it, or it's so powerful on its own that you can really get it to do things um, that you need. So I often use that for, um, well, you talked about me moderating the Macworld forums. We get spammers in there every so often. And really? Shocker. Was, isn't that shocking? Or trolls, even. Yeah. And that's shocking, too. Uh, so one of the delights of my day is banning these people. But in order to do that, it's through our uh, forum software. It's like a six-step process, and it's just tiresome. So I set up something in Keyboard Maestro because now it can fill in web forms. And... Uh, it's really easy. I just type a keyboard shortcut. It ticks off six checkboxes. It fills in the form saying spammer, and uh, and it just deletes them like that. So if you do that kind of repeated task things, Automator is great, but as is Keyboard Maestro. We're going to do a show on Keyboard Maestro coming up in the near future. Some of the stuff that they've added with this version 6.6 is really impressive. For instance, when you plug into a new Wi-Fi network, that is an actionable event. Yeah. So when you go to work and it sees, hey, he's at work, you could have it open certain applications or connect to certain printers or, you know, it's just it's really impressive. So, gang, stay tuned. That's coming. That'll be I, let me know. I'm definitely listening to that. one. Uh, you know, by the way, I sent you a a, a um, screencast myself because uh, you were saying on one of your screencasts that or one of your podcasts that you never got your head wrapped around Hazel. Did you ever um, take a, any more look at that? I probably did. I'm going to send then, you something, Chris, because they just send me something. 
They just came out with an update this week that is amazing. In fact, you should go watch. I did a screencast on this gang. Um, they, one of the big problems people always had with their paperless workflow is when you get a, a document scan and you want to put the date of that document in the name, which is a very common occurrence. You get a bill from the water company and it says January one, but you don't scan it till January five. So you can't use the date created because that's not the date of origination. And the computer has never been able to parse that date out of there. They've got a new thing in Hazel that looks for dates in the document and it will grab that out of there and put it in the name of the file. It's kind of the Holy grail for a paperless workflow. And it's a really great update. That's uh, update 3.1 for Hazel. Yeah, it's huge. I've gone back and updated all of my Hazel rules to incorporate that. It really because, works. Because sometimes yeah. I, I admit, sometimes I don't always get around to doing stuff the month that I'm supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So it fixes it. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to convert you, Chris, on this one. I'm gonna, no, okay. Everybody I know says Hazel is the goods and it's something that I should take time to, to learn and do. And so it's, it's on my list. Yeah. In your free time. I actually have some free time. I really should because I have it. You know, it's not yeah. that I don't have the thing. It's just like I, I open it and go, oh, yeah, I'll do this another time. And I just don't get around to it. Well, let's talk about what you do in some of your free time because you are still a, a gigging musician. I mean, you've got, I, I believe you're, you've, you have a band of your own, correct? I do. I have a band of my own named System 9. It has nothing to do with Apple. That's okay. We named it way before there were systems. Um, yeah, so that's a seven piece, uh, R and B band. I'm also now, uh, playing in a band with Paul Kent, who's the guy who runs Macworld Expo. And that's a 16 piece Americana band. And it's pretty casual. We rehearse just once a month and we've done, I think four or five gigs. What, what band and, is which that? Which is a lot of fun. Oh, it's called the Black Sunday Roadshow. Okay. It's got horns. It's got a banjo player, pedal steel player, uh, two guitars, three backup singers, uh, fiddle player, me playing keyboards, bass player. Uh, I think that's everybody in the band. Because yeah, Paul has another band that, that's really good. Um, what's it called? House. Oh, the Silicon Valley House Rockers. House yeah. Rockers, yeah. Yeah, that's a great band. He's got a yeah, but he he wanted to try something different that was a little more casual. Uh, because I tend to play you know rock and jazz. This was a completely different kind of music for me. So. Um, it's really been fun. And you're not required to play top 40 or dance music. It really is more of a listening band. So you get to do some kind of interesting stuff. So uh, that's, that's something I've enjoyed a lot. And I'm, I'm working with my band to kind of reboot it. We've, we've taken a, some time off, but it's time to get it going again. So there's work to be done. I would love to get together with a group of guys that just play like, you know, Miles Davis and you know, just that kind of stuff. And we never gigged, but we just got together and played once in a while. But I don't know if I even have the chops anymore to do it. It's been so long. Well, you know, I find that with a lot of musicians, you know, so they played through high school and maybe in their early 20s. And then they stopped because they had families or jobs or other responsibilities. And then after about 20 years, they all kind of come out of the woodwork again. And they realize, okay, I've got my career kind of on track. My family's going Okay. I'd like to do this again. And I don't know what the network is for getting these people together, but I have seen a lot of, I think people call them dad bands, um, get together and, uh, and they, you know, polish their chops a little bit, 
and they have a ball. So I think that is a, a thing. Yeah, I was looking at the. Are you familiar with the product Band in a Box? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a software product that creates accompaniment. So it's it's basically a MIDI file. But I'll, I believe the mar- the newer versions have actual um, audio files in them. But traditionally, it was these MIDI files, and so you can type in the chord changes for any song, and event- and it will immediately put together a band for you and then you can play along with them, which is something I want. I, I'm thinking about getting that and trying that again in my free time. <laughs> yeah. I love band in a box. It has yeah. absolutely the worst interface ever. Yeah. It's like it started on the Atari ST. So going mm-hmm. back to the really old days when the Atari ST was one of the first computers that had MIDI ports built in. And as I, I played keyboards and saxophone, I, I, I got one because I wanted those MIDI ports and I bought a license for it in like 19, probably like 84 or 85. I mean, a long time ago. And yeah. then I went back a few years ago and saw they had a Mac client and they gave me the upgrade price <laughs> after uh, <laughs> something like oh 20 years, they still had my name and I thought it was really awesome, you know? So I don't know. It's a, it's a good company. It's a, yeah, it's an awesome company and it's really smart. I think it's, it's wonderful software, but I just, you know, I look at that interface and I bet you probably launched that app and said, wow, it looks just the it's same. It's the exact it same, <laughs> you're right. But, you know, you know, A minor, you know, B flat, whatever you're yeah. in. <laughs> I've even used it um, to do a background video or background music for some of the family movies. Like I had a bunch of video of the kids playing baseball and I wanted kind of like a shredding version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game and I couldn't find one. So I just made it in Band of the Box. Yeah, when I used to do one-man band gigs or duo gigs, uh, where you needed the full band behind you, I used Band of the Box to do all the backing tracks for that, and uh, and then I just play over it. The um, and now you said you had your keyboard in your room. Uh, what, what's your main you know working keyboard? Um, I now use a, a Kurzweil PC2X, which is an 88 key fully weighted keyboard, so it's heavy. Yeah, and I gig with it, and it's kind of a drag to to carry around. But I was trained as a piano player, and I really like that piano action. I used, you know, on the plastic keys forever. I, you know, I had a Prophet Five and a DX7 and a D50, and uh, you know, various keyboards up and on through. And finally, I got to the point where I could afford it, and I was old enough, and I said, I really want a keyboard that is responsive to the way I play. So that's my um, that's my main keyboard. It's got great sounds in it. Uh, it's a very versatile controller, so I can control other instruments with it if I like. Um, and it sound, again, it's got the Kurzweil piano sound, which is just awesome. I had for years, when back when I was making money playing music, I think we talked before the show started. I used to do a lot of music um, in the L.A. studios mm-hmm. and stuff. I was in the state jazz band and stuff in high school. I was a big music guy. And so I had a Roland Sound Canvas, you know, circa 1990-something. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the first ones. And for years, I used that with a Fatar MIDI controller that yeah. I got like on Craigslist or even maybe classifieds before Craigslist. And so I just had a MIDI cord and I hooked that up and I had a little amplifier and I played that as, cause as I've got older, I don't play the sax anymore. I just don't have time, but I do like to try and bang out Thelonious Monk songs on the piano. So about three years ago, I got a new keyboard and I paid like about a thousand bucks for it. It was a Yamaha. I don't even know mm-hmm. the model number, but it has built in speakers and it's weighted like a piano. 
Yeah. And it really is a game changer and it feels like a piano and it's a little, the, I think the piano sound on Yamaha is kind of bright, but I really love it. I just, I think music's a really great thing to have in your life. It is. And I, I mean, I grew up with it. I started playing when I was four, so I don't know what life is like without it. But um, and I'm and I'm trying to bring my daughter up with it, but she's a little resistant to it. So you, you know I'm, that I'm trying not to be that dad. That raises a, a good question, both both for people with kids and and for me because I was one of those kids where you know my mom enrolled me in piano lessons and I took them for a couple of years and then I got busy with other things. And one of the things I would like to do when I have some more free time in my life is is really get back. I mean, I I think if I, I don't know, maybe if you put a gun to my head, I could I. I could play jingle bells or something like that on the piano still, but it's been, yeah, it's, it's been probably close to 25 plus years since I've sat down at a, at a piano and it was very basic stuff. How, how are you with, in this great world of technology, encouraging, you know, your daughter to get more involved in, in kind of what are the resources now that people can use to, to teach themselves from, from very basic or, or no musical experience to actually being able to do something or, or do you have to go find the piano teacher and, and, you know, take lessons and do that? Is there any kind of self-help now? Well, there is some, um, for a while, GarageBand had those lessons in it and the lessons were really good, but they stopped. I think Apple right. felt that there wasn't enough money to be made, which is too bad. But if you want to start either guitar or piano, you can start with those just to kind of see what the, the gist is of, of going on. Um, there are programs that will, you know, help you with your technique and that kind of thing. But you really, this is one of those skills where you want a human there who knows what you're doing so they can give you immediate feedback, which is, now your hand position would be better if you did this. It's more efficient to play this way. Or that's good, but you might want to bring this out a little bit. Um, because playing music is basically three things. You want to play the right notes, you want to play them at the right time, and you want to play them the right way. Now, the first two you can do on your own, but playing it the right way is where you really want that feedback of somebody saying, okay, well, you've got the technique to do it. Now let's talk about the emotional interpretation. And that's something that takes years and years to develop. So having the, the real person there is uh, invaluable. And also having a decent keyboard. I think if you're going to play piano, you want something with weighted keys. The plastics, you can't build up enough uh, strength in your hands. Yeah, and that's the reason why I keep playing Thelonious Monk, because when I was 10 years old, in 1978, Mrs. Maxwell told me I wasn't allowed to play that music. So, <laughs> so um, now as 45 year old, I feel like I'm sticking it to the man every time I do it. I'm sticking it well, to Mrs. Yeah. Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Maxwell. Well, I was I was raised the same way. I played by ear early on, and I still do. So it was much easier for me to just hear something and play it than it was to read from music. So I did have lessons. I, I majored in music through college and had lessons, but I always balked at having to sit down in front of a piece of music and play what was off that. I would much rather just play what I heard or, or what I felt like playing. You know, you also, Chris, have a blog about music. Yeah, it's it wasn't really in, intentional. It's chrisbreen.com. It's more, and I think it's going to turn into this, is it's me just telling stories. So it won't be about technology because I do that for Macworld. But I have a lot of music stories because I was in the business a long time. So, so far, it's been about music and, and the things musical that interest me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the place where, and a lot of this came from the magazine app and Glenn Fleischman, where I wrote a couple of pieces for that that weren't technical. And yeah. uh, I realized, wow, I actually like writing about things that aren't about technology. So this is kind of my place to do it. I'm not trying to make any money. 
or do anything with it. I just got a Squarespace account and started writing. <laughs> there's a there's one section where you're talking about crazy stuff people have said to you. That's not the exact word you use, but <laughs> no, um, no, I get to swear on my site. Yeah, so the, um, you were at I guess you know some big retail store that wanted a piano player, and the manager says to you, "I don't understand why you get paid more than me," and you reply. Well, I could perfect your job in three months and you would take 25 years to perfect my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's, you know, you know, as, as having been in the business that people tend to undervalue artists and, and think, well, you get, you know, you get the joy of creating and isn't it great that you're an artist? And it's like, yes, but I have to pay the bills. And this is a very specialized skill. I spent my entire life learning how to do this. And so there should be... It's not going to be commensurate compensation, as if I were saving somebody's life or getting somebody out of legal problems. But this is hard. This is hard to do. And so in this case, it was an assistant manager at a restaurant. He said, well, I work really hard all day. I said, right, but, you know, I could do your job in three months. So you want to try to do mine? And at that point, he kind of went, oh. All right, I get it. And the other, the other one says, I can't offer you any money for this gig, but you can pass out your card. <laughs> yeah, this happens to creatives all the time. It's yeah. like, oh, I'll give you this opportunity for promotion. It's like, no, I, I don't know. I don't need promotion. I need money. I can't yeah. eat promotion. I need a paying job. That's what yeah. I need. Well, it, it is really, um, it's really nice that you were able to keep all this up at the same time that you were doing all these other things for Macworld and technology writing. And well, it's, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It's, it's so ingrained in me to play music and to listen to music. It's, it would be like cutting off my arm not to do that. One of the reasons to go to Macworld every year, in my opinion, is to get yourself a ticket and go to the Macworld all-star band concert night. And the band is great. It's remarkably great considering how much time you guys spend rehearsing, which is very little. But it's also just great to be in that room with all those other Mac geeks and people that are involved in the Mac community. I, I just, it wouldn't be the same without it for me. And, and that's one of the things I always enjoy and appreciate is you're always up there knocking out every set on the, on the piano. I love that party. And it was set up, you don't, you know how parties work. It's, you're generally in a noisy place and everybody's networking and talking to each other. And we really decided we're going to do a party where people can't talk to each other, A, because it's so loud, and B, because there's an open bar. And uh, <laughs> and after the first set, there'll be uh, you won't be able to understand what anybody's saying anyway. And it's fun for us because we all like playing music. As you say, we rehearse once a year, a couple of days before the show, and then we do the show. It's very loose, and that's fine. We have a great time, and people in the in the room have a great time, and it's just a it happens late enough in the show that we're all tired. It's just a chance to kind of blow out some energy and do something different than, than talk about tech. Yeah. And it, there's just nothing but love in that room. Yeah. I mean, nice people and and very forgiving of some of the stuff we do. We have the occasional train wreck. And, you know, if you're in front of a, a real audience, you say, oh, boy, I feel bad about that. But, you know, we're all friends. We just kind of laugh and go, whoop, that was a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, what? tell us some of the... Um the gems on your Mac, what's in your menu bar? What are the little apps that you use that, that are uh, indispensable to you? Uh, I am a drag thing guy. 
So I use DragThing to launch my apps. I have little shortcuts in there that I can click on or I can trigger with a keyboard shortcut. Um, I like it a lot. It's been around forever. A lot of people forgot about it and use LaunchBar instead, but I really like DragThing. Um, 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 I told you about Keyboard Maestro. That's a must-have for me. Um, gosh, what else? Do I, I mean, I, I like GarageBand a lot as a sketch tool for um, if I'm going to work on a, a little musical composition, I can do that. Again, it's a decent podcasting tool. Um, I, I, use, I really love GarageBand on the iPad. I cannot get over how nice that app is. Yeah. I, and just, it's such a remarkable work of engineering that they did that. Um, I am so impressed with Apple's music team. They got the logic people over from eMagic when they acquired eMagic, but so smart. And I think a lot of people just don't realize. I do sessions on GarageBand every once in a while. And it's one of those weird disciplines where people are more than happy to to like do this terrible drawing and show it to people or do some other creative thing that's kind of bad, but they'll do it in front of people, but ask people to do something musical and they get very shy because it's so personal. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will open GarageBand and then not touch it again. And I keep encouraging people to do it, but, but they just won't. So say la vie. As you said, well, Chris, it was great having you on the show. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm really glad we were able to finally get you on. Um, thanks for everything you do. You know, the thing, I always find your voice at Macworld, one of my favorite, because it's really not a, you, you really don't write as much about the news. You really write about things to help people use their Macs better. And that's what this show is all about. We try to avoid the news as well and, and just help people, you know, get more done more efficiently, have more time for their family. And uh, so you are speaking our religion. I, I'm glad. I, like I say, I think it all comes from tinkering. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people <clears throat> who read my stuff or listen to your show or follow what you guys do uh, have that same um, love for taking things apart and trigger, trying to figure out how they work. And the only thing I add is, is explaining it. I'm, I'm still trying to get out of my head the picture of a tiny little Katie Floyd with an alarm clock and wires all over her bed. <laughs> my, my mother was not pleased, but, you know, it happened. No, but look where it led you, and that's the important thing. Yeah. So, Chris, what's the best place? For, where, where can people find you, follow you, blog, Twitter, websites? Where would you like to send people? Oh, okay. Um, I'm at Macworld.com. Look for uh, the Mac 911 column and Mac 101 for the beginner stuff and just my byline sp splattered here and there. Um, my blog is chrisbreen.com. Again, occasional swearing, so watch out. Uh, Body of Breen is my Twitter handle. And uh, I tend to rant and I, um, I get into politics there. So again, be careful. You could follow for a while. If you want to unfollow, I won't be offended. Uh, on app.net, I'm Chris Breen, just because I want to confuse people. And I actually have an, an album on iTunes. It's called Of Eve. It's solo piano from the 80s. So if you like that kind of, kind of George Winston-y thing, you can uh, check that out. And lynda.com. Look for my name there, too. Sounds like a plan. Thanks a lot, Chris. You can find us at, um, at MacPowerUsers.com or 5x5.tv slash MPU. And you can send us a note to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yep, we're also on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. We're uh, at David Spar um, at Max Sparky and Katie Floyd, respectively, and uh, also on App.net and all those other good places. 
And I think that will about wrap us up for today. So uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye.